Thank you, Mike. And in that spirit, I'd like for us to bow our heads and to be still and know that God is present among us from a time of meditation and reflection. And then I'll lead us in prayer. Eternal Spirit, we marvel at the depth of your caring and your reach for us. We pray that you would minister to the deep and secret places of our hearts where there's pain, where there's unresolved guilt, where there's anger, where there's unconfessed sin. We pray that your Spirit would probe and and work and have your way. As we are still in your presence, sometimes we grow uncomfortable Because as long as we can keep moving and stay busy, we don't have to think about the things going on inside. So help us to be honest in your presence, to come clean, to experience confession and renewal, a fresh filling of your spirit. We pray, Father, that as we examine the world that is yours, we might see the brokenness and the marring and the scarring and Have our hearts broken as your heart breaks for those many millions who don't know you and who are waiting for that positive witness from believers, for the pain and suffering in the Philippines, for those doing recovery work, for those devastated with homelessness and hunger. We pray for those in the world who are in places of military conflict, especially our own troops, that you might bless them and watch over them. And we ask God that you bless our nation and guide us in the ways of peace and justice, that we might seek your face. We pray for the sick in our congregation, for the grieving, for the troubled, for the heartbroken, for the confused, for the marriages and families in conflict. We pray that your spirit might truly work. We pray, Father, as we open your word, that you might guide us, that we might hear Holy Scripture Read it, mark it, learn from it, inwardly digest it, and be changed by your power. Guide our thinking and our doing through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hoarders Anonymous, a sermon series about uh, our relationship to things, as Stephen mentioned. This morning the text will be the Luke chapter 12 passage that the children read earlier. And uh, I hope that you'll have your Bibles open uh, so that we can make reference to it because it's a wonderful passage of Scripture that follows immediately on the Scripture that was last week's text about the rich farmer, the foolish farmer who kept building barns. I want to begin this morning with a poem, a poem by Dennis O'Driscoll entitled Middle Class Blues, and here it is. And apologies to Dennis O'Driscoll because uh, this isn't all of the poem. Time and space wouldn't allow it. Middle-class blues. He has everything. A beautiful young wife, comfortable home, a secure job, a fair-haired daughter learning to walk. What he is afraid of most and what keeps him tossing some nights are the stories that begin. He had everything. 
a beautiful young wife, a comfortable home, a secure job, then one day, then one day. That's what keeps him awake at nights. Anxiety is a brutal monster, isn't it? Anxiety is a powerful force in our lives because uh, it's always just sort of hovering over us, threatening to take away that which is most important to us. And you know that worry and having have a relationship. Worry and having stuff have a relationship. In fact, the more you have, the more you worry. And that's the relationship between hoarding and anxiety. And this morning, we're not just thinking about hoarding. We're thinking about hoarding as it relates to anxiety. We're not just thinking about having things. We're thinking about how having things is related to worry because those two play into each other so uh, dramatically and so regularly in our lives. Now, I mentioned last week's sermon because it's interesting to me that in last week's sermon, uh, the, the farmer whose land kept producing soil abundantly and he kept saying, I'm going to tear down barns and build bigger barns, his anxiety was related to his superabundance. His anxiety was related to the extravagance of his riches. But it's interesting Jesus turns it around in this story, which follows immediately, or this passage of Scripture, his teaching, follows immediately after that story because Jesus points out that we can suffer anxiety even if it's about life's basic bare essentials. Because Jesus says you shouldn't worry, verse 22, about what you're going to eat or about what you're going to wear. See, even the bare essentials can drive us nuts. Not just the big barns and the making lots of money, but we can worry about survival needs. And Jesus was making that very clear. And and so, let's just be plain about it. Possessions can be toxic. Owning things can be wonderful, but owning things can also be toxic producing a lot of anxiety in us. And especially is that true when we begin to realize that if we put our faith in stuff, we never seem to have quite enough to satisfy us. We always think we need a little more to feel satisfied. And that's not a new theme. Uh, the people of God were going through great transition, going through great reevaluation of who they were and what they owned and what they had. And the prophet Haggai had some very interesting things to say to them. And in Haggai chapter 1, verse 6, I want to show you this verse from the message. The prophet says to the people of God, take a good hard look at your life. Think it over. You have spent a lot of money, but you haven't got much to show for it. You keep filling your plates but you never get filled up. You keep drinking and drinking and drinking, but you're always thirsty. You put on layer after layer of clothes, but you can't get warm. And Haggai was talking about the bankruptcy of a life that is always about acquiring and consumption, but never satisfied. And that's the trap that anxiety that sets in. Now, if we're going to be honest about our tendency to hoard and accumulate to make us feel secure, 
if we're going to be honest about the worrying that we do about that, we have to ask ourselves a question. Do my values and God's values line up? If you read the scripture carefully that the children read for us earlier, Jesus says they'll either be a striving for the things of the world or they'll be a striving for God's kingdom. One way or the other, we're going to give ourselves to something. And so values come into play. So ask yourself the question. I ask myself the question, do my values line up with God's values? And if you begin there, uh, you begin to, to, to see what all the worrying and all the hoarding and accumulating is about. A.W. Tozer was a great preacher of the 20th century, uh, and he did a lot of writing of essays, he did a lot of preaching, and he was very, very effective. And A.W. Tozer, T-O-Z-E-R, uh, talked about the rules of self-discovery. I want to just list these for you, and I'm going to leave them on the screen long enough. If you want to jot them down, this will be on uh, line later on, and the sermon will be on manuscript if you don't catch it today. But A.W. Tozer came up with these rules of self-discovery, how we can discover what it is we really value in life. And I thought this was so insightful, even though they were written uh, decades ago. Here's how you discover that. You figure out what we want most, what we think about most, how we use our money, what we do with our leisure time, the company we enjoy, whom and what we admire, and what we laugh at. If you look at that and think about your own life and think about American culture, you can begin to draw a very quick thumbnail sketch of the things we value, what we want most, what we think about most, how we use our money, what we do with our leisure time, the company we enjoy, whom and what we admire, and what we laugh at. Those will help us identify our values and to see if they line up with God's values. Now, I want to give you a practical example, a practical application of this, so you won't think I'm just talking theory. Around 7.30 tonight, a whole bunch of us are going to be watching a particular football game. And it's going to originate from Denver, and it's going to be all over the television screen. And it's going to be really fun to watch. And during the uh, changing uh, uh, from offense to defense and the changing of downs and the changing of quarters, there'll be all these commercials. Now, I want you tonight, you have an assignment. I want you to carefully watch the commercials. I want you to carefully listen to them. I don't want you to get it sucked in. I want you to step back with some objectivity as a follower of Jesus Christ, not just as a consumer, not just as a person who acquires, but I want you to step back objectively as a follower of Jesus Christ, and I want you to notice how the commercials, no matter what they're advertising, appeal to your values, how they appeal to those seven things. But here's the scary part. I want you to not only think about how they appeal to our values, I want you to watch and listen to those commercials in such a way that you begin to see how those commercials try to tell you what your values are. They try to tell us what's important to us, and what we most admire. They try to tell us who we are and what gives our lives meaning. Now, I want to ask you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, do you really want someone in a Madison Avenue office in New York or in Silicon Valley 
in California or in some office in Chicago, do you really want somebody else telling you what and who is important in your life? It's worth thinking about, isn't it? The rules of self-discovery lining up our values with the values of God and God's kingdom. I want us to uh, drill down a little deeper on this word worry that Jesus uses and in the, the New Revised Standard that I uh, often read from and study. Uh, the word worry in some form appears in verse 22 of Luke 12, verse 25, verse 26, and verse 29. Jesus w- mentions the word worry or anxiety in all of those verses in all of those places. And you know what the word means? The word means to feel pulled apart, to feel stretched to breaking, to feel fragmented. And that's a good definition of worry, isn't it? That's a good definition of anxiety. In fact, it was a word that was used in its original context in the Greek language to describe a ship on the sea that was being tossed by the storm. The winds would blow it this way, then the waves would buffet it that way, and the waves would attempt to break it up and pull it in every direction at the same time. That's an apt description of worry. Feeling distracted, feeling uh, segmented, feeling uh, pulled apart and pulled in several directions at once. And that's, that's how worry and, and hoarding are, are related as we think about those in those graphic terms. You know, preachers and theologians like to assign words to decades uh, in a grand sweeping way to help us understand uh, epics and periods of time. And and some preachers and theologians said, uh, you know, several decades ago we went through the decade of guilt. Guilt is what kept us away from God. Then they said we had a decade uh, of doubt where we were questioning everything uh, that, that was written in God's word or that was said about faith. And Following the decades of guilt and doubt, there was a decade of discouragement. Well, I'd like to add maybe one to that stack and suggest that perhaps we're living in a decade of distraction. Yes, we have guilt. Yes, we have uh, doubts. Yes, we have discouragement. We have a lot of things that keep us from God, but maybe the thing that's keeping us from faithful discipleship and keeping us from joy is distraction. Our sin is the sin of distraction, that we, have, that we are spiritually ADD, that we are spiritually unable to focus on one thing at a time because the, the world is out there with so many glitzy toys and so many things and so many places for our money to go to and, and, and we're just distracted. We're pulled in every direction. That's what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about worry as it relates to things. And the more things we have, the more worrying we do. Uh, Jesus also likes to have fun with us. Jesus has a sense of humor, had a sense of humor. And I think uh, this is a a perfect example of that. Uh, In this story, uh, he he, uh, uses a uh, hyperbole. He uses a, a ridiculous example. He said, which one of you, by worrying, can can add a single cubit to your height. Uh, Some translations translate that. Which of you, by worrying, can add one single hour to your life? They they do it 
uh, time, not space related, because the word can be translated both ways. But the literal meaning is Jesus asks the question, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to your height? Now, most Jewish men were not very tall. And uh, so this, this would have been the picture of short Jewish men being uh, towered over by Roman soldiers who were uh, maybe genetically taller. And a cubit, by the way, was approximately the distance from the tip of your longest finger to the bend of your elbow. That was a way that they could measure the height of a horse or the size of a building. A cubit was approximately that long. So, so Jesus says, imagine that you're sitting at home and a friend walks in and the friend says, what you're doing? And you, what are you doing? And you say, shh, I'm worrying. I'm growing a cubit. I'm growing taller. Be quiet now. I'm worrying. This, this stuff really works. It's a, it's a performance-enhancing drug. It's a steroid. The more I wor- worry, the taller I get. Or the more I worry, God's adding a day to the length of my life. Shh, I'll be done in just a little bit, but this is awesome, this worrying. Jesus said, nah. Worrying doesn't get you anywhere. Worrying doesn't make sense. If anything, it shortens the number of days. And it may shorten the height when you feel burdened down by life. And it's not, it's not real. I've decided that we all have a bad habit, and I'm going to confess your sin and mine. It seems like it's part of the job. I just got to do it. Uh, we suffer the bad habit of yes, but. It's a beautiful day. Yes, but the temperature's going to drop. God's blessing our church. People's lives are being transformed by Christ, and we have estate gifts where our capacity to give and serve is growing. Yes, but we're running behind budget in our giving. young person says to a friend, don't you just thank God for Christian friends at school? Yes, but I'm not the most popular. Aren't you thankful to have a job? Yes, but sometimes it's a real grind. Aren't you thankful for your health? Yes, but I've got a mole here I need the doctor to look at. You know, We're just so full of yes, but. We can never live in the moment. We can never just celebrate the blessings of now. We can never just live in that freedom of what God has given us. And Jesus was being facetious. I was being facetious. But I will confess to you that I'm a worrier. Uh, I have a bad habit of worrying. Uh... Worrying is my default. I worry when things aren't going well, and when they are, I worry that I'm forgetting something. It's sick, I know. I need to see a therapist. But worry for us is addictive. You know, it becomes just the way we do things. You know, on the farm, when I was growing up, and we were trying to do soil conservation, if you saw a little... A little um, ditch that was formed by the rainwater, 
you had to quickly deal with it to, to plow and build, build up the soil to stop that. Because if you don't, it just gets deeper with every rain, and pretty soon during a rainy season, it washes out. You're not looking at a little tiny, uh, little tiny rut. You're looking at a deep ravine. And over the years and over the generations, you're talking about a, a huge erosion of soil in this great big cavernous uh, ditch that you have. And everything dumps into it. That's the way worry is. Starts as a tiny little trickle. And if you, don't get a, if you don't get a handle on worry, that tiny little trickle becomes a gushing ditch into which every thought in your life is dumped. And without realizing it, you become very negative as a human being. Every thought gets dumped in that ravine. Tough to think about, isn't it? Well, Jesus has um, a proposal for us. Instead of worrying and being consumed with stuff, Jesus has a proposal, and here it is. Trust God. Instead of fretting, instead of being focused on things, trust God. He says that in uh, verse 31. Instead, strive for the kingdom of God, and these other things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. God is your shepherd, and it's God's good pleasure. God enjoys blessing your life. Why can't we trust this God, this God who created us in his image, this God who created us for a an eternal relationship with himself, this God who rescues us in his son, Jesus Christ, and this God who plants his Holy Spirit within us and promises never, ever, ever, ever to leave us. Why can't we trust this God who's done so much for us and who loves us so much? It's his pleasure to love us. It's his pleasure to care for us. And there's a second part to Jesus' proposal. He says, trust God instead of worrying and be generous. Because at the very closing of that passage that is our text in Luke 12, he says in verse 33, sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Jesus was saying, when we practice generosity... We get liberated from our stuff. It's no longer in charge. But get this, there's, there's something better. When we, when we share our stuff generously, we not only get liberated from it, we get liberated from worrying about it. We're liberated both from the things and from worrying about the things. Jesus says that's what happens when we practice generosity. And, of course, you would know that the key verse to all of this is that verse 31, strive or seek the kingdom of God, and these other things will be given to you. We're going to be striving for something. Jesus said be striving for God's kingdom. And all these other things will be added to you. C.S. Lewis once said, you never get second-rate stuff by putting that second-rate stuff first. And by second-rate stuff, he meant money, possessions, things, stuff. He says we never get 
second-rate things by putting them first. He said we only get second-rate things by putting first things first. When we put first things first, those second-rate things come to us. And isn't it true in your life that so many problems clear up when you put God first? So many things fall into place when we put God first. When we do that, a lot of things fall into place. So let's get free from the things. Let's trust God. Let's be generous. Let's put God first. Pray with me, please.